Hey guys, and welcome back to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. Apologies if I sound like I've got a frog in my throat and I've got a cold. Um, but this um, this episode and for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the good old space daddy, the Mandalorian. And joining me <laughs> for this ride, we've got MVP coming joining me. Say hi to the people. Good God, what is in your throat now? What is actually in your throats? I what? need to I need to stay away from you and make sure that doesn't come over here. Your voice what? is actually as we progress your preface for people have not been obviously we just only started recording. We spoke for twenty minutes and one voice has sounded more worse now than it did twenty minutes before. My God. Yeah, li- literally like she sounded all right. And then she told me <laughs> then she told me that she that she had a cold and then all of a sudden her voice is just deteriorated. It's like you jinxed, I jinxed it. it big time. You jinxed Jeez, it. Louise. But how are you feeling on this fine evening for you, morning for me? Yeah, it's uh it's been an interesting day and um I enjoyed spending a considerable amount of time catching up with Space Cowboys and um I definitely have a little bit to say, but I'm glad the show is back. And um, I think we're in for an interesting seasonal arc, not just for the show itself, like overall, but for Din Djarin, the character. Um, sometimes I wonder who the Mandalorian actually is. You know, is the Mandalorian Din Djarin or is the Mandalorian Grogu? I guess at some point we'll find out maybe by the end of the series. I don't know what their plan is, but I think their plan is pretty good. Yeah, you're right. You're right I'm thinking, is the man knowing Grogu? Is this the answer? The answer been in front of us the entire time? No, you're actually spot on. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on in this episode with regards to, well, just lore establishment, themes, and a bunch of stuff. I like the way it starts. But I mean, before we get into kind of all of that, what did you think of the of the actual episode? I mean, Jean Favreau did an amazing job. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of the references in here were kind of through his own direction. But yeah, what did you think? Um, I thought it was a good like way to start season three, especially after the disaster of the last few episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. Because uh, <laughs> that... Uh, because the first few episodes if if I go into Boba Fett the first three four episodes at the top of my life the last few episodes of it being Mandalorian slash Clone Wars slash whatever they were doing so it felt really good to get go straight back into Space Daddy with his son um, and whatever cowboy space opera adventures they get up to next but it was really quite good to go straight back into it I didn't feel like there'd been a lull it felt like because it didn't feel like because I think it's been quite long since the last season actually it felt it felt like it so it felt good to go straight back into it I think seeing my good old sis Megatan again was very interesting <laughs> she annoys me too yeah she's always looking so angry she actually man. used to be for real I actually tend to be for real see my sister Satine would never do any of this um but that's a conversation for a different day and I'll go to a Clone Wars spill so I won't do that for the listeners it was still hanging on well yeah the the episode had a pretty interesting structure. I liked the art direction. I liked um the performances. 
and the writing was actually spot on. Um, this episode actually is directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who is of Nigerian descent, which I find very interesting because there's a considerable amount of hidden Nigerian talent in this episode that I guess we'll get into. Wait, Rick is Nigerian? But, uh, oh, yeah, wow. he is. Um, direct, and for, for the uninitiated, he is the you know director of The Wood, Brown Sugar, Dope, 2015, which I thought is an amazing movie, probably one of the most amazing of the the past decade. And yeah, he's uh, of Nigerian descent. He is American though. But yeah, he's directed this episode, John John um and John Favreau wrote the episode. I thought there were a lot of interesting themes here. I mean, the show kind of gets into a little bit of action, it gets into a little bit of politics, gets into a little bit of like emotional territory, which I think is cool. It was it was cool to see how they built a lot of lore in the episode. Um but I guess just sort of jumping close to the end, I want to talk a little bit about Navarro because um, Navarro, the the planet where a lot of the characters go through a lot of development through the seasons of this show, that place, its development is kind of an interesting indicator of progress in the series. I mean, when they landed in that port, this episode, I was genuinely unsure for a moment if we were in the same place. <laughs> like, it's still there and it's it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting and clever way for the show to give us insight into what will eventually happen in the sequel trilogy. Um, because they're prospering right now. You know, they've become this um, this trade port that's independent and it's in the Hydean way of the Outer Rim and such. And the truth is, people wanted to avoid centralized government after the fall of the Empire because, um, of course, the Mandalorian happens um, after all of that. But I think actually that's aversion to centralization is what makes it easier eventually for the first order to pick planets off one after the other um when they spring up in the sequel trilogy i don't know if grief cargo is still around <laughs> to be bragging about how he needs to be the high magistrate by then he but, is i'll be quite interested um, but yeah that nah man that dude's ego needs um a serious check i mean why does he have a bust of himself in his office that's actually true you know okay who, who does, does that, that? <laughs> yeah everybody like he's even telling the droids to call him high magistrate it's like bro relax that just relax like well, why are you doing all that for any highlights for you at the beginning um i thought the actual do you know what can we talk about the actual like intro to the episode oh yeah because yeah i i that was that was I, fun I, when i saw vader i thought wait so he's on vader's helmet <laughs> <laughs> No, the hammering is I rewinded, cool. The hammering, the I hammering was cool. I rewinded that about three times. I was like, there ain't no way I'm seeing... You were like, what I show like, am I watching? no way I'm seeing my man's helmet. For those who don't know, Anakin Skywalker is my favorite fictional character to ever exist on this planet of all of time. Of all time, guys. She's I'm serious. I'm deadly serious. Like, Anakin, that's my dog. I didn't agree with everything he did, but that's my dog. That's my dog. <laughs> so I saw that. What is this undying support for a murderer? I love him down. I'm sorry. I, I love him down. I oh love my him God. down. Like when I watch, every time I watch Revenge of the Sith, oh my, my heart breaks a little bit. I'm like, damn, like, close. <laughs> we're doing the Order 66 thing again. <laughs> my chest starts hurting. But that's my doggy. So I, was, I saw it I thought, ain't no way. It felt like when I first watched um, uh, what do you call it? Now the film's got out my head. 
uh, Star Wars and Rogue. Oh, now the film's cut out my heads. The hallway scene, is it Rogue, Rogue One? The hallway, yeah, the hallway Rogue scene, one, Rogue yeah. One. Um, I got that excited. But seeing the little kids, the little boy, I thought that was Din. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, it's so clever how they did that in the intro because you, you're you not sure whether you're watching a flashback. Yes. Right? Because we know about his very personal commitment to the, the Mandalorian Oath. And it's it's a cool thing because there are different sects um, when it comes to the Mandalorians. You know, there are the, like we've, we've seen Bo-Katan and the people that follow her who take off their helmets um, willy-nilly. We see um, Din Djarin, who is very committed to keeping it on because taking it off in front of other people makes you no longer Mandalorian, um, which is why we don't see his face up until the end of season two, where he willingly takes it off. And that kind of compromises his sense of self as a Mandalorian. And I think this season is going to be about him kind of fighting that. And that's why he's on this quest. And that does play into some of the religious themes that I, um, that I mentioned earlier, but yeah, like at that beginning part of the episode, you're not really sure if you're watching a flashback. In fact, I wasn't sure at all until the point where dude showed up in his um, starfighter and, you know, destroyed the turtle-backed crocodile thing. I mean, geez, man, the the creatures in Star Wars always get me. Like, why is there... I was like, why is there a giant alligator (laughs) messing with these people? I mean, these guys just can't catch a break, the Mandalorians. They're suffering, man. Um, They're suffering. Yeah. The the ceremony itself was interesting to see. I mean, all the clans um, from the different houses were you know, showing their pride and everything. And this boy was clearly taking it seriously. But the truth is, even though it wasn't our Mandalorian, um, Din Djarin, it's cool because it might as well have been because that boy probably would have been him back in the day. And we don't know everything about his origins, but it's, it's sort of reminiscent of what we could have expected from his own childhood. I also find it interesting that the armorer, who is such a fixture in this series, like we might as well tell us her name at this point. Um, she is asking him to swear not to the Mandalorian way, but to the way of the Mandalore, which is, well, those are two very different things, right? Because the Mandalore is, you know, the person who united all of the, well, most of the Mandalorians um, with the Darksaber, who didn't, who, um, well, which is now in the possession of Din Djarin, right? And, well, I don't know what his plans to do, uh, plans um, to do with that are, but like, I feel like maybe people could end up following him by the end of the season. I'm not entirely sure where they're going with that, but I think that could kind of be part of his quest. Maybe he's going to become an unlikely leader of sorts. Um, what do you think? Um, to even to follow up, like to piggyback on something you said, um, like just before, like in, in that sentence, I think it's just that what I find interesting in regards of, you know, showing the side of the whole band, um, showing that it's the way the Mandalorian, not the Mandalorian. I think you know when you're watching the show, you feel more connected to Din because that's who you've been watching the entire time. You're not really taking in the consideration exactly. of how are the other people in his similar to him feeling so i think john favreau doing that little sneak thing like ah you thought it was dead at someone else because i was like oh you know what there's other people 
go through this exact same thing and this thing hasn't stopped. So maybe like I'm actually yeah, even though they haven't found exactly a haven't found a home world world a home world yet. So maybe I'm like, oh, you know what? I actually need to deep this. This is happening to other people. I can't just care about one person it's happening to. There is plenty of other people this thing is happening to that I need to take into consideration. Then it made me feel bad because I'm like, oh, Boca team was being really awful to him in season two and in the book of Boba Fett in terms of how she was treating him and how, what sort of Mandalorian he is specifically. So I think he did a really, really good job of creating... The like helping the audience create some sort of empathy towards that specific group, and you're now not thinking about solely Din because it's really easy for John Favreau to be like, "This is a, a childhood flashback of Din," and you already have a connection to Din because you've been watching him the entire time. It's his adventure, but to create an empathy and create understanding, like, no, this hasn't stopped. And you need to have sort of a general more empathy, sympathy, and an understanding of what they're all going through as a people group in regards of their mad, mad religion uh, was actually something interesting. Just as soon as you said, that's the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah, religion is really huge here. These people are trying to find themselves and trying to reestablish themselves. But, you know, everywhere they go, they face problems. Like, it's just kind of like an unsafe thing, you know, for them, like every, like the fact that they're trying to do this baptism and it's this, you know, this ceremony that's so sacred to them. And then they get attacked by like giant alligators. I was like, that's just the definition of like having a bad day. Right. It does kind of make me wonder if the Mandalorians are the, the quote unquote, like Israelites slash Jewish people of star Wars in a sense. Um, and the guys at Screen Crush kind of alluded to this in, in a few ways. I know that like in our own world, there are a lot of different, um, sects of people that have kind of become scattered through, you know, war, um, I guess, exploration, different things like that. Um, but lots of series, at least in fiction, seem to have people who are kind of pariahs for no reason other than just pure prejudice. I mean, for example, in Attack on Titan, it's the Eldians. Um, though that situation is extremely complicated. And by the way, if you don't know what an Eldian is, don't worry. You cannot hope to understand, <laughs> comprehend what I just said. And anyone who does understand is not even going to be able to explain it to you without spoiling the entire series. Um, but yeah, the Mandalorians find themselves very much scattered all over the galaxy, like the Israelites. And I find that connection very interesting. I mean, even the the nail in the coffin that leads to the creation of the Mandalorian diaspora, so it's um, so to speak, that which is like you know the destruction of their home world, um, is reminiscent to me of one of the major causes of the Jewish diaspora, which is you know the Romans' destruction of their temple. I think there's a lot of religious symbolism in the episode, particularly of the seemingly Christian variety. You know, there's baptism, themes of Exodus, there's living water, like literally, dude is talking about going to find living water in a place that is supposedly destroyed with fire and brimstone. You know, there's poison there. Um, there's some stuff there that could even be callbacks to maybe the plagues, you know, where like Egypt got destroyed in a way. Um, all these different things kind of poisoned their land. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on there. And I think the show is kind of making an effort to 
explore these deeper aspects of Mandalorian culture in ways that haven't been shown on screen to give us more insight into Din Djarin's journey and Grogu's journey, really, because now Grogu is part of this. You know, Grogu became a Mandalorian foundling for all intents and purposes, because, of course, he chose to um, become, well, to, to follow Din Djarin rather than stay with Luke Skywalker. Though I guess there are people who might not know what I'm talking about since that didn't happen in this oh, show. Fair. Yeah, <laughs> oh, they didn't God. know that. That's their own problem. Why are you watching The, Man- Why are you watching the Mandalorian and not watching Book of Boba Fett? But it's madness, though. I mean, the fact that this show makes no effort to explain how Grogu is with the Mandalorian at the start of the season, despite leaving him for Luke Skywalker at the end of the previous one, is borderline hilarious. You're so right. Because what they should have done at the start of the episode was done a recap... They did, but they did a recap, yeah. but they didn't they just didn't talk about this, this I mean. in the recap, which is this wild. I mean. They should have added the recap of like the Book of Boba Fett stuff in it, because there's going to be people who have just thought the Mandalorian has not been on TV for two years, and because yeah. you imagine I mean, you're seeing Grogu did beep boop beep boop 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 with R two D two and Luke, and you're thinking, oh yeah, uh-huh. my man's gone with the Jedi's. Like, see you later to learn the Jedi way and now you're coming back and you're seeing him back with Din and you're like wait what's happened here like what's happened here it's I think it's too funny honestly because I mean obviously there's an entire episode that that's like that happens in the book of Buffett which by the way I think is probably the best of the entire series where that that shows has no boba in it that and I think that yeah, he's not involved at all. It's the best one. And that shows what happened. And I, th- I just think it's wild that they're genuinely expecting people to have watched that. They didn't even put any visuals from those moments in the recap for this episode. So people are just going to be lost. Um, they, I mean, Dinjarin barely even mentions what happened. So I, I just think that's kind of funny. Um, but I think it does show a little bit of what happens with Mandalorians in terms of teaching their youth. Um, they really value life he teaches Grogu everything now. I mean, he's really showing him how to fly the ship, um, how to navigate space. Um, and of course, that's something Mandalorians have to know because that's how they protect themselves. They're a warrior people. They have been for a long time. And that value of life is very rooted in their young. We see Din doing it, of course, but even in that ceremony that's attacked by, you know, Space Croc, we actually see them protecting the young ones above all else. I mean, a bunch of people get you know, get eaten, which is not great. <laughs> but, um, you know, we see a lot of their weaponry in the episode and how they'll go to all lengths to to save those people, especially when they fall inside water and can't really stand up because they're wearing, like, armor. You know, Beskar obviously is a huge treasure to them. Anybody who doesn't know what Beskar is, it's basically Valerian steel. And I guess if you don't know what Valerian steel is, come find me later and I'll, I'll, I have a bunch of things to explain to you. With that in mind, you know, there is this dichotomy there because he's protecting all these people and they're protecting themselves with Beskar. And he's with this kid who's force sensitive and was taken in by a Jedi, but Mandalorian weapons were essentially designed to repel the Jedi. So I think it's interesting that Grogu chooses to kind of be a Mandalorian because of this person who's protected him all this time, rather than follow what one might imagine is his instincts, which is to, you know, become a Jedi. Um, 
the weapons, like for example, the ropes bind them, uh, bind Jedi, so they can't use their hands to wield lightsabers and the Force. And of course, Beskar is, imp is impervious to lightsabers. Plus, the um, the flamethrowers they use are very handy. So we see a lot of that weaponry in the episode, and I think that um, seeing all this stuff is interesting for Grogu's growth. I wonder when we'll actually get to hear him start to really speak but but yeah that that's probably like way down in the works i mean this show could go on for a while um i don't know what their plan for this character is and who he'll become but i think this is turning out to be not just a seasonal arc or a series of seasonal arcs but the origin story of one potentially very important character yeah, come, are you right because as soon as they did the order 66 flashback um and someone saves him like someone, someone definitely saves Grogu, and it's the thing that plays my mind the best. I'm like, who did it? I keep listing potential people. You know, I've come to the conclusion it could be R two D two, because the way they met, because the way they Maybe. met in season two, end of season two, and interacted as if I've met you before. Because he wasn't going towards Luke at any point. He was staying with Din. As soon as he sees R two D two, he's like, oh, it's as if he met him before. Which I find interesting. Like I'm like, because it was because he was not associated with Luke in any way when Luke came to teach him the way of the Force and said, "Oh, come, young one." He was like, "Yeah, nah." Then R two D two came out and does his little, you know, speaks his little tech tech language, and Grogu was like, "Oh, okay." Then he walks towards it, um, R two. So, yeah, I think, I think yeah, you're right. But Grogu being a Jedi and also being a Mandalorian family is probably the most interesting duality in the entire series because he's meant to be the very thing that yep. Din hates. Yet, Din... Because yep. I think what they did really well, actually, and I, I really love John and everyone continuously doing this, is that at the centre of everything that happens, even with um, that space crocodile thing that I remember I saw there, that was coming, that needed Steve, Steve Irwin there, rest in peace, big man, or with everything that was going on <laughs> around them. <laughs> the thing that remained the centre of that entire episode was the relationship between the two of them and how the two of them worked together and that weird father-son relationship, you know, um, that they have. And... The way, because the way Grogu really looks up to Din and relies on him. But I think what I liked this season, different to last season, um, was that he's his own character. So he's doing his own thing. He's not completely relying on um, Din. Because I think it'll be such a disservice and a regression if it went back to oh, Din having to do everything. And then Grogu do one little thing with the Force. They make sure they go, oh, yeah, damn, he's, he's got a bit of something, something to him. And then it goes back to Din continuously saving him. Grogu was holding his own and was able to handle the level of responsibility. Him, like as you were saying, him showing him the ropes and how to fly the uh, the ships and everything. Um, and Starfighter, I cannot believe they had an Edward Starfighter in that. I freaked. I don't know why I keep getting excited every time I see it, as if I'm watching the Phantom Menace again. But each time I see it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is actually. That's exactly why you're freaking out and they're doing it just for you and everybody like you who gets excited for Starfighters. <laughs> that's literally what they're doing and it's apparently it's working. So I guess I you need to tell the them that. I keep seeing the Starfighters. I was getting really gassed and I'm like, oh, you need to grow up. 
you're not five or six anymore. But yeah, I, I think you're. you're... <laughs> no, I mean, hey, it's it's fine to kind of look <laughs> look at Starfighters and feel nostalgia. I mean, nostalgia is a lot of reason that these shows work in the first place. Um, I will say. There's actually an episode of like in Rick and Morty season six that came out not too long ago where they talk about like the whole episode is a is kind of just about Star Wars culture and how lightsabers are actually problematic. There's there's a whole bunch of Rick and Morty stuff that's happening in that episode, but the backdrop of it is like Star Wars things and it's just too funny because it shows like it kind of questions the logic behind lightsabers in a sense. Um but yeah, I think all these different things, lightsabers, you know, Mandalorian helmets, starfighters, these things are all kind of meant to evoke this sense of grounding us in the world because there's so much that's happening in Star Wars, not just in terms of these motifs, but, you know, even the way people think in society, like this Star Wars, Star Wars has always kind of been like a space Western, like Dune, the, well, the series of books and I guess now a series of movies Dune tends to be very space politics. Yes. Um, Star Wars is kind of like space Western in a way. Um, and I think it's funny how people act very West, like, you know, like classic Western in Star Wars in a lot of ways. I mean, visually it evolves in the early, in early Mandalorian episodes, it was basically just straight up Western. Like, dude would go to a new place. He'd show up and, like, you know, beat up whoever was there and, like, you know, come out looking cool. You wouldn't know who he was. He's just, like, this lone traveler guy. And then when places become decent because he's helped to liberate them, he has to go because he can't stay in that same place. Like, it's just very funny how that works. Um, But all of that translates to the way people view that society because there are people who are living in peaceful places that they didn't have to fight for. And then there are people who are living in suffering and there's this air of distrust because the Star Wars world is just always so volatile. Uh, I think there's an example of that when Din actually tells Grogu, never trust a pirate. Um, I think it's interesting how just that logic of society in Star Wars always finds a way to permeate the show teaching its characters lessons and those lessons and the delivery of those lessons in turn pass on messages to us. I mean, Grogu learning all this stuff um, with Dan explaining things to him and then, you know, the writers using that as a way to explain things to the audience is like, you know, the oldest trick in the book, but I think it's actually kind of effective here. Yeah, it's really, really effective. I love the fact that you used Dune in this because this episode felt very Dune-like. The Right down yeah. to the space croc, right? I was <laughs> like, wow, it's like Frank's in the room. Because you could tell John Favreau, because yeah. I mean, obviously we all know that um, George Lucas was heavy, heavily, 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 heavily inspired by Dune. Um, heavily yep. inspired by Dune. I don't think he used enough heavilies, j- just for the record. He, <laughs> he didn't did, use I enough really heavilies. Didn't. He really said, Paul Atreides, let me take some of that. I'm going to make my own. But obviously, he made it a very good versus evil thing. And Dune's a lot more multi complex in terms of Paul Atreides being mm-hmm. is he an anti hero? Is he a villain? Whether whether swings, whether way you reside, let us know. Be quite interesting. But I think the Mandalorian, like when you were talking about dude, like the actual like Mandalorian people, like they remind me a lot of um, the Fremen in June. Mm-hmm. Which I would say are maybe the exactly. Israelites in that series. And I'm like, I was interested. I thought, yeah, they're the Fremen. 
like you have your who their pool of traders is in this case i don't it could be maybe growing i don't know it's the only person i could think of that would probably be akin to it but yeah this whole um idea of because i think i think the whole series i think will lead will lead to the whole question of who are the mandalorian people like who are they that sounds like a very big deep question for this just early in the morning but who are they really <laughs> you're just just night in your case. like who are they really like are they their religion um are they their and do they have their own um self-concepts outside of it and the same could be asked of grogu because grogu obviously like what is grogu in terms of is he a mandalorian foundling or is he um, a Jedi? Is he a bit of both? Because I feel like the show probably, I feel that's the, probably the most overarching theme I got from the entire episode of like, who are these people? Like, what 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 are their end goals? Like, what are their self-concepts? As did know who he truly is? Probably not. Um, and do they want to be self-removed from their religion? And which is probably what what Frank was doing with the Fremen, is that the Fremen obviously wanted to be freed of you know the torment they'd been put through, but then their whole ideology became from being set free from what they were going through to now worshiping Paul Atreides as their one savior who was saving them. So I'd be interested to see how they take this on because I'm like John Fremen, you really took Dune. You said I'm gonna take some of that. And I'm like, I'm going to take a lot of that actually, um, which was quite interesting. It felt, I don't know, did, did you feel like it felt less space Western this episode in comparison to the, all the other episodes before? Or maybe because I got so, yeah, maybe because maybe, yeah. I got used to seeing Cad Bane randomly pop up in the book of Boba Fett. Oh my God, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. But I think it's also the fact that, you know, like I said, Navarro has developed. I mean, we start to see pirates though i think they made the they, they brought back those western themes i think those guys terrorizing um navarro is probably going to become a bit of a theme um we'll see how it goes i think overall nev- because navarro wants to become a respectable place and be seen as a respectable place we're not going to see a lot of western style things but i think it's probably appropriate just for the writing since we're moving less from you know, themes of, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, like, um, kind of lone ranger, lone traveler, lone gunslinger, um, ideas into themes of self-discovery voyages, um, themes of religious exploration, themes of fatherhood, really. So I think it's trying to become a little bit more wholesome. And we're seeing that in the actual stuff that's being shown to us on screen. But actually thinking a little bit about those pirates, dang Farrick, um, <laughs> I would say that um, those guys, like I said, they'd be a problem, but, um, and I know I already uh, made one game with those reference here, but I was thinking about the actors and like all the people doing interesting things here. Um, that pirate king, so to speak, which was just weird to hear, like as a One Piece fan, I just kept hearing Pirate King. I was like, okay, but um, Gorian Shard, 
is actually played by Nonso Anozie. And for anyone who doesn't remember, Nonso Anozie is a Nigerian-British actor who played Zarozan Doxus in, in Game of Thrones Season 2. And if that name isn't familiar to you, he is the black dude that Daenerys met in Karth that hooked up with her handmaiden. Oh my gosh. And then got locked in his vault that was supposedly filled with money and riches and all kinds of other things, but was actually empty. And then we never saw him again. This is that dude. And we don't really see his face here because like he's covered in green moss, so to speak. But yeah, I recognize his voice and it's like, yeah, that's that's no sign, is he? Oh my gosh. I just thought that was funny. Why did I not clock that? (laughs) It's him. I'm like, why are you here? It feels so I'm random. I'm actually going to the episodes yeah, um, to see I, that th- again. Yeah, those guys, that's how I know those guys are going to be a problem. It's like, they don't just cast a guy like that to do nothing. No, they're going to so, be a big, 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 we'll big, big pirate people. It's giving Davy Jones. Yeah. True, it was. It actually was. He reminded, reminded me so me much of Davy Jones. Jones. I mean, leave it to the man. <laughs> Leave it to the Mandalorian to perform high-speed guerrilla warfare in space with blaster-mounted ships. I mean, that N1 Starfighter is actually a cheat code. I don't blame you for loving it. Um, Dude really looked like he was playing Galacta because how is it that these guys weren't seeing him and he was he kept coming out from behind asteroids to destroy people? Like, how was that I'm even working? <laughs> how does one guy in one Starfighter destroy Star everybody? Starfighters, Joel Favreau and Rick, you know how to get me. They're cheat codes. You can use it for anything. If you ask me, Priscilla, if you're in a Star Wars universe, what's the first thing you'll get? That's the very first thing I'm getting. That's the very first thing I'm getting. I'll survive. Not my nah, 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 I'm good. Maybe the dark saber, but I'm not holy enough to have it. Uh, I don't know if I want that. Thing. I kind of want it though, because the way Bo actually speaking of me from Bo-Katan, her at the end of the episode. Is it this? Do you feel like this? Not at the end of the episode. You know, her in this episode, right? What do you think her uh-huh. role is going to be moving forward in? Uh, I think they might be setting her up for a slightly antagonistic role. That's what I kept role. thinking. Is she the big bad? I, I, I have this feeling. I don't know if she's maybe like a medium bad. I don't know. Because, you know, she's clearly scorned. Very much so. Uh, she's bitter. This is the guy who took the dark saber from her, and now he's coming to ask her to be friends, and so they can go like on a little adventure together. And she's like, "Dude, what?" <laughs> and like everybody who was with her has gone, which just shows the fickleness of, you know, how these different sects behave within the um, Mandalorian culture. And you know, she she's sitting on this throne in this place. Like, I mean, it was cool to see that um, that planet Kalavala. Um, it's kind of been formed in her image, so to speak. You can see her heraldry everywhere. That droid that's guarding outside is actually even painted in her colors. Um, but she's sitting on that throne, similar to the way exactly. Darth Maul sat on it, which uh, which I thought was was interesting because he he Darth Maul obviously is not not the greatest. He's morally great, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess we could call him morally great. I don't know. I've never. I, I try. I try not to see him as too, two dimensional, but um. But then again, I don't know too much about like him and the way he thinks. But but yeah, he he led the Mandalorians for a little bit because he had the dark saber, and she was part of the people that overthrew him. But it's one of those things. Um, I guess those classic things where 
people become the one thing that they hate and the thing that they try to destroy. So I don't know if that's where they're taking her, but that might be interesting because, you know, what if she, what if he actually like Din? What if Din actually goes to Mandalore and is able to discover the things he's hoping to dis- to discover? And she's gets even more bitter about it. And she's like, nah, I can't let you succeed. And then it just becomes like a, a whole new battle. Then we find out more about, you know, what Book Time was doing up until the point where, you know, certain things were going on. Um, maybe after like like in some of the other series that we that we watched, um, all these things that happen between the movies. I mean, they all end up providing a little bit more insight each time. So this could be some character exploration for her. Who yes, knows? I feel like- um there's just a lot of yeah. fighting in there, so she I feel like be she'll be what uh, what was Biggie's name again? Rayva Ray was in the Obi Wan Kenobi show, where I think she'll be probably uh, okay. considered the big bad, but then there'll be someone above her, if that makes sense. Like she's a big she's a big bad, but she's not a big 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 yeah. bad. Obviously, the big bad was was Annie mm-hmm. um, in this case, but um, <laughs> words of Padme. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I, she's she's she fascinates me so much because I completely understand her bitterness in our prepare sister. But I understand her bitterness. I understand our prepare sister. Wow, you realize she'd be bitter towards well, you for saying that, right? How are you going to say you understand her bitterness and then say something like, "I prefer her I sister"? Prefer sister. What is wrong? With you? <laughs> be don't be bitter. Be better. Oh God. Okay. Um, but I think I understand her plight. But then I, f- I find that the, the the polarity between the two is so fascinating because obviously Din's like, I want to find out all this information. And then Bo-Katan's like, why can't you let things be? <laughs> <laughs> like, bro, haven't you taken enough from me? <laughs> why can't you just let, let these sleeping dogs lie? Like, why do we need to find out information? I don't need to find out who I am. Like, just let these people worship me. Like, she craves so much power. Like, seeing that throne room, which was dead anyways, I'm not going to lie to you. Her colors like, ain't that great. I've seen better throne rooms. Um, but there's a, she seeks, like, there's a power there that she is, she's so power hungry. So I'm like, girl, you, you're not, you're, you want this power for no good reason. Like, you haven't got any good reason behind this. Don't try and use the whole excuse on the Mandalorian. Yeah, but like, shut up, man. <laughs> you just want power. Yeah, it's not like she even knows she what to know, do with that power. I, I, there's a quote in Game of Thrones that I always use, which is my George the one, but that's besides <laughs> the point, which is that the best people with power are those who don't seek it. And Dan's probably the best suited mm-hmm. person for this for the dark saber for everything because he doesn't. You see him as as a potential Jon Snow. Yes, type. He's given he's given Aegon Targaryen, like someone who doesn't seek power mm. but finds himself in positions where power is awarded to him. Like even like every single person he's not sort of got on with, he's sort of almost got on with near the end, anyways. Similarly to John. Yeah, I guess he does he brings bring people, people to exactly. the unity. He likes people. Of fun. Look, look, look at him in Boba. They weren't boys in the beginning, and then he became boys, and that was on his own show. Helping him save today. Yeah, that that was actually these writers, man, to do respect. <laughs> that was I'm still not over how crazy that is. The best episode of the book of Boba Fett had nothing to do with Just, Boba Fett. It was that is Luke. rude. And Ahsoka was like, you remind me so much of your father. I almost started crying. I said, damn. I'm getting Clone Wars teased. Wild. 
But yeah, I mean, everything feels so real. Like the way those, like the, like I said, the performances were amazing. Like it really feels um, convincing. You know how these people are feeling, what they're feeling. Not even just in that episode of the Book of Boba Fett, but but here too. I mean, you can. It, it's it's a real testament to how the writing and you know the physical performances of the actors shine through because you have to remember all these mandalorians we're seeing like they're all wearing helmets right but we all kind of understand what they're feeling and there's and i think it's because they've mastered body language and the ways that they're portraying their characters um i think that really creates that emotional heart that we're going to need as din goes on this journey and i mean speaking of things that are real we we can even think about the like the space battles and you know the the prosthetics the like the props and all the other stuff that that they use to kind of make the world feel a certain way like when they're trudging around in water when they have these giant crocodiles i mean it's, it's very cool that the effects feel real in the show and it's cooler that even in such a situation um whether it's like you know the the fights with the croc or even the space battle we can make out who's who due to effective art design. I mean, the costumes are fantastic in this show. Um, the fact that we're watching the space Galacta battle thing going on, like when those asteroids outside the pirate ship, and we know which ship is the Injarans, I mean, that's that's really good. Like they didn't have to resort to shaky cam or anything ridiculous like that. I thought that was that was very nice. And I think it's nice how like they're improving each season, like not just on you know previous seasons of the Mandalorian, but, you know, previous Star Wars properties like the Book of Boba Fett and stuff. So, you know, hopefully it, it all pays off and it's kind of like we're watching just one giant fragmented series, which is kind of a good thing and kind of a bad thing, but, you know, hopefully it's more good than bad. Yeah, hopefully, you know? I think the main aim I hope they get for the show is I don't even mind if we don't get the full self-conceptualization of what Din thinks he is and whether or not he makes the full self-discovery. As long as we get somewhere with it and we find out information about, you know, about his people and about him and what he thinks of himself and what he wants to do, I think seeing how him and Bo-Katan continuously interact throughout the series and whether they're battling ideologies and how that works. But I think as long as we get to a point where I that did make some form of progress and growth as a character um, as a father because he is a single father and we get and I think I think I just want to get to know the people more and, and, Mandal- and the Mandalore in itself I think it's, if we get to the point where I like I feel like I already connect with them but I really connect with them I understand everything I feel like Din has made leaps and bounds of growth as a person, whether he achieves self-discovery at the end of this or not, because life is a journey. Do you know? Yep. Oh, no. So profound. Thank you well so said. much. Um, as long as we, as soon as we get well to, if we get some growth from him, and I think it'll be really interesting to see how Din reacts if he sees something really bad that actually makes him question his own beliefs. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. You know, this whole hero's journey thing, it's, it's always fun when that gets turned on his head. You know, what if he gets to a point where he's like, why am I actually doing this? I think we've had little bits and pieces of that in his journey so far, but nothing huge, nothing questioning his own real identity. 
um, which is something that a lot of the characters in this show can obviously benefit from. Some humility, some kind of, you know, reckoning with who you are. Take Grief Cargo, for example, and the service droids that are lifting his cloak off the ground. Mine is mad. But anyway, like, I think with Din getting to that planet, if he gets to that planet, you know, what's actually going to happen? Uh, speaking of which, actually, IG-9, the droid that he wants. I mean, obviously, Din has a very bad history with, with droids because, like, they killed his family and everything. But, you know, IG-9 is, like, the one droid that he likes. Which is so like, funny. I'm he's like, I'm going to go to this. Yeah, because of the what, what the droid did for them, right? You know, saving them from Moff Gideon, who is now on trial, like, in this tribunal of, like, the the new whatever whatever and it's like and din essentially has that same attitude towards it because he does not he just sees it all as a joke all this like you know the marshalling of like you know these bureaucracies far away it's it's tiring to him and i think the audience kind of ends up developing that same feeling but you know because of what ig9 did for him and grogu at the end of season two you know he obviously fully loves that droid and that droid has been made into a legend which is another common theme of westerns um but the revival sequence of ig9 could lead to a bunch of interesting things we get lots of callbacks there um even you know when he's being fixed and such now the little quest is okay i need to go get that part so they can fix ig9 and then i need to carry ig9 to meet some other mandalorians who might hopefully want to go to mandalore with me and then i need to carry all these people and then go to mandalore and hopefully we all come back alive so it's all going to be in stages i don't know how they're going to handle that over the next eight um, seven episodes um i don't know maybe they're going to do more than eight this season though i highly doubt that but I think it will be be cool to see how his relationship with that droid and even with other droids comes into play because, you know, he's like, that is the only droid that I like. That's the only droid that I want to take with me. And it seems like a very funny thing at first because obviously it is, but, you know, that's also part of his character. It's rooted, it's rooted in, you know, a very emotional journey for him. It's rooted in trauma. So, so yeah, that I think that's that's kind of fun that's to That's going to be so fascinating. I even, and, yeah, you're you know, so right. How, yeah. Yeah. How are you with IG9? He was. He always ends up adopting people. <laughs> did he's just a paternal man? Yeah. Yeah. Speak. Actually, speaking of him picking up friends, Cara Dune, who is mentioned very briefly in this episode. What do we think about this? And Gina Carano. Do you I have gosh, any thoughts? I can't do nothing for her now. It's beyond me. <laughs> like <laughs> she, I've never seen someone fumble the way she fumbled. Because in my head, I'm like, if you shut yeah. your mouth and just collect your paychecks, you would have been fine. Because I think there's a level of uh, ignorance people can get away with. But I think what made it worse is Pedro mm -hmm. Pascal is the complete polarity of her. So it made it yeah. more stuck. You're in the same show as Pedro Pascal, and we all know his politics. And then there's you. Mm -hmm. She's, and what really was she kept digging a hole and I'm like why can't you shut your mouth why can't you do the normal thing yeah. and just keep quiet like why Why do you have to she really could because I really wish she was some actors this is just to speak to actors generally I don't want to know your politics shut your mouth just do just, just like just act and then go home like Harrison Ford, I cannot tell you for the life of me what his politics are. I, I want to live in ignorance. Like I, now I know I can watch Indiana Jones in peace. No, we ain't done nothing. 
like, I, I don't obviously obviously talk about politics for the right reasons. Like, you know, if you're like a Pedro Pascal, that sort of thing, great. Keep talking, open your mouth. If you're right wing, just shut your mouth. Because what she did was so... Because I think there's other actors have gotten away with things before on different shows and different films. But what she did was so, yeah. so, so... I don't think I could personally watch the show with her in it. That's how... Yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, but that's that's I how know. I felt. Like if I saw her, I mean, I mean, I I I, I agree. I, I get what you're saying, and I pretty much see it the same way. I feel like you know she didn't have to do that, and she was kind of very careless with the comparison that she made. Um, which you know, anyone listening to this, you can it was very trust me, it's very easy to find out what she did and said. Um, I will say though that it also really reflects how Hollywood is and just how society is because men generally don't get punished this hard for doing what she did. <laughs> um, she was fired, not just from the show, but like, you know, from all of Star Wars and stuff like that. Her acting career is probably going to, well, is already suffering um, because of this. So yeah, I think holding people to different standards is something that hopefully stops soon. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess we'll see how it is because like she she came for you know not just like policies and politics but like you know healthcare came into the whole thing and uh, you know just voting it's just a mess it's a complete mess. She and was so she was so I stupid. Good, yeah. I think I think what, what yeah she I think what made like that, that night so much more amazing you know when she got sacked and then we found out on the same night that Pedro was playing Joel in The Last of Us and that was a great night. That was the best day of my life. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that, that was excellent press. And I, I was going to say, actually, um, you would think that the masses would be tired of Pedro Pascal by now. But I nope. am not. We will never be tired I, of Pedro Pascal. He's it's playing. never going to happen. That dude is like, he's he's just he's just the gift. He's the gift he's of this year. He's <laughs> playing my favorite video game character. That game still freaks me out. Though. I don't know why I played The Last of Us at 2 o'clock in the morning, but that's beyond the point. <laughs> <laughs> You were I'm young so and naive. Stupid. My mum used to keep telling me, why are you playing this game at 2 o'clock in the morning and you keep shrieking? Because I'll see a clicker and I just keep <laughs> shrieking. I'm like, what, what is that? Like, why do you look like that? Controller in hand, ready to do what's next, but shrieking at the same time, eyes wide open. And That's actually a terrifying sight, I have to say. I'm surprised yeah, your mum wasn't scared. Surprised. And I think, Joel, that's a father right there. That's a father right there. Like the yep. idea that he's played Joel and Bando, like every like every like a Sunday and a Wednesday, Sunday and a Wednesday, Sunday and a Wednesday. Two oh. dads on a journey, right? Just Frederick Pascal in our hearts and minds all the time. Every twice time a week, I watch it, I'm like, I want to have a child with you. I feel like he'd be such a good dad. Every time. I'm like, <laughs> you you'd be such a good man. Like, look at the way you're holding Grogu. And checking to see if he's okay. And you see him with Ellie in The Last of Us. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'll never get sick of him. He could do, he could be in every IP imaginable and I won't get sick of him. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's actually very cool how he, he's very good at playing good dads. I mean, even in Game of Thrones, he, one of his, one of the major tenets of his character was his, his commitment to and his, his children. children. Yeah, his yeah, his children and his sister's children, like it's just you know, he's a very family oriented guy, I think, in real life and in the characters he plays and it really shines through. So 
I'm glad that that can be an extra strength to this series. So yeah, we'll see how it goes with um with the journey and everything. Any final thoughts? No, I think the only thing I've got to say is like, I'm happy I'm back in my happy place. Um, I'm happy to see my little... You mean Star, Star Wars, Wars land. land. I'm happy to see my little Grogu. It's short, so funny, actually. To end on a funny note. When I went to Disneyland a few weeks ago, um, <coughs> I got a Grogu. From, uh, I got a, a nice flex Disneyland Paris. Uh, I took the Eurostar, very fancy. <coughs> um, I, there was like a massive Star Wars section. Madu. Massive Star Wars section. Uh-huh. And then because my, my birthday's coming up, my best friend got me the Grogu plush toy. So I was watching the Mandalorian <laughs> with like a mini Grogu next to me. I thought, oh, this is nice. I feel like Din. You've, you're I've like, made I've made it. it. <laughs> I've achieved my life's purpose, which is to watch the Mandalorian with a little Grogu next to me. So I thought, if you ever wondered how I watched the episodes, I watched the episodes with little Grogu. And it feels great. I feel like I'm bothering him. I know, I had a great time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I watched it with pizza. I don't have a Grogu, but hey. At least you're not hungry, exactly. Hungry. What, so. what's flavor, what type of pizza did you have? Uh, I don't know if I should reveal uh, that on the internet. People got, people is it pineapple? Oh, definitely not. Okay, I'm not that fine. much of a degenerate. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. It's barbe- it was barbecue. Right, not chicken. bad. Um, I really so like it's barbecue pizza. It's not bad at all. I will. I'm not ashamed of it at all. If you want to come for me, come for me. Um, simple as that. You know where I am on the internet. Please. <laughs> and on that note, guys, we'll end. Uh, we'll leave you to it. We'll see you back next week with more adventures of Space Daddy and his son, and on his journey of self-discovery. But that was it. We'll see you guys to the people. Thank Farrick. That's it. That's my goodbye. Love that. Bye.